I'm Jess. And I'm George. And this is Transpantastic, a podcast about gender, identity, orientation, and all the life that happens between them. We went to Gallifrey One. We did. It was fun. It was fun. We went on a vacation. So one of the things that they have, which it was kind of an amazing experience to just be there. It was kind of great. But one of the things that they do, like many cons, they have, you know, panel discussions and guest speakers as part of the show. And if you're not familiar with Gallifrey as the planet of the Time Lords from the Doctor Who television show on BBC. And if you're not familiar, you probably didn't need to know that. (laughs) We went to a convention for a TV show that we like. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So... They had the casting director there, and it was really neat to hear him talk because he has a very clear passion, and he enunciated it very well, that he has a distinct passion for diversity in casting, which you could see if you watched the last season. And if you're not a fan of Doctor Who, hear us out on this one. Don't don't skip forward just yet. He cast a trans woman to play a large female grunt type character, and not just because he wanted a trans woman, but because if you're going to have a big, strong woman, this person was the best choice for the part. And there was another cross-gender presentation in uh, one of the last episodes played by Letitia Wright, and we just mentioned Bethany Black, and a lot of the pairings, the canon pairings, the dating couples and married couples in the show are often cast as multi-ethnic couples or multi-ethnic families. And so... He really has this great passion for diversity in casting, racial diversity, ethnic diversity, uh, cultural diversity, and gender and orientation diversity. Yes. So I went back and heard him speak at a second panel. And the question was asked about the TV show that will be the only access that any fans have to the Who-niverse, the Doctor Who universe, in 2016, which is a spinoff show called Class, which is set at the school that is sort of the home base for Clara, and it has featured prominently in a few episodes, and it's a tie-in all the way back to the original series way back in 1963. This show is going to be on while Doctor Who is not, and it's targeted at a more young adult audience. And Stephen Moffat, who is the showrunner for Doctor Who for the next season, which will be in 2017, is still going to be the executive producer. But as the actual showrunner, the creative director is going to be a gentleman named of Patrick Ness, who has written a number of young adult novels, and he's written screenplays for some of those novels. And he's pause real quick while I look up. I think he's gay, but I could be wrong. It doesn't say. Anyway, this person is creating the show, designing it for a young adult audience, and the casting director, Andy Pryor, mentioned that he is going to carry his passion for diverse casting into his work with this new show class. And the question was asked of him, how? What might that look like? And of course, because it's the BBC, he can't actually say anything. No details. Right. 
But he did say, you know, it's a young adult show. It's set in a high school with the upper levels of the high school kids getting ready to take what Americans would consider college entrance exams and what the UK kids, they're termed A-levels. You're getting ready to graduate from high school and you're also simultaneously saving the world is apparently the general narrative of this new show. Okay. Yay, saving the world. And he said, well, if this is going to be a high school, we have to think what kind of students are in a high school. And there are all sorts of students in a high school. And that's just kind of where he left it. I see. Or so you so you tell me because I didn't see. You didn't actually <laughs> no. see. You didn't go to that panel. No. You didn't hear the question being asked, but that's okay. Because you did, however, experience minimal media representation as a young person. And that's what I was thinking as this question was being asked. And as I was listening to him answer was, how great would it be to have some queer and trans characters in this show that has become this huge staple of pop culture that, you know, all the geeky kids dig the show, all the kids who want someone to identify with, they flock to these shows. The reason that Orange is so big, I would say if it didn't have Laverne Cox, it probably wouldn't be. The reason that Degrassi got so big, I would say if there wasn't a trans character, I can't even think anymore, maybe... Ooh, I'm going to cut this if it's wrong, but maybe named Adam hadn't been there, then the show also probably would not have had the same kind of following that it did. And so there's sort of a spiraling benefit to having these queer and trans characters. But when you were growing up, there were none. No, not that I can recall. And we went to a panel together about LBGTQA type stuff. Uh, GSM. Gender and sexual minorities. Yes, it wasn't listed that. Way. It was no, a, it wasn't. It was just a, a panel about the queers. Yes, thank you. That's just easier for me. <laughs> and in that discussion, the person running the panel asked, you know, what were other folks' experiences dealing with media representation or not during their formative years and basically, you know, before you came out or as you came out or whenever it might be? And I didn't talk, of course. Everybody's shocked there. <laughs> but uh, You and I kind of worked not to make ourselves noticeable, though. We didn't talk at a lot of things. I don't have to work at it. I just... <laughs> True. Mm -hmm. I, I do, but yes. that's okay. Continue. <laughs> I thought, well, I could only think of two things that I could recollect from my young adulthood, you know, teenage years or somewhere about there. And that was uh, the movie Tootsie with Dustin Hoffman, which I loved. I was so <laughs> thrilled to see that movie, even though that was... Dustin Hoffman wasn't a trans character. While he was dealing with himself being this other person during the time period he was being the other person, the angst was there, the pain was there, and, and I understood that. The other character was um, Billy Crystal and Soap, who played a very effeminate gay character at that time. And I heard about that and would find a way to tune it in on our TV at some point if I, if I could. 
because there wasn't anything else like that on the TV mm-hmm. that, that I knew of. Right. And that was the closest thing to, hey, that's more like me. And at that point, I had a girlfriend. So I thought I, I'm obviously gay if I have a girlfriend, I guess. Because before before either of those representations, all the media characters I related to were male. Right. And as I got old enough to realize there was no magic turning me to look like the boy I was and make the world see that. I wasn't sure what to do about that. And eventually through little things like this and and then through other ways of connecting to queers in my world, I was able to become more comfortable with the person I I was um, and understand, oh, what's going on here? Okay. These other things are happening with these people. Maybe that's more like me because I can understand that better than the cisgendered people I see on the media. And that's important. Like even for gender diversity that's not related to transgender, you you see some TV shows now. There's one, gosh, I can't even think of the name and I feel bad about that, where there's only one boy character in all of these main characters are representing, I think, gems and precious metals and things like that. And there's like only one boy character and somebody's like, why don't they make more boys? How how unfair is that? And then you see it on Orange as well. Well, why do they only portray uh, the women as characters with any depth? Why don't they portray men as having any real agency here? Welcome to what the rest of TV has been like, people. Thank you. And so... When, you know, the rest of us are seeing no female assigned characters, no female presenting characters. Exactly. The other side of the coin here. At this point, I think given the nature of representation and queer representation increasing in our current culture, it would be great to see some of that. When I was growing up, there were not many queer characters on TV. The best we might get is the occasional after school special and the lesbian dies at the end. (laughs) Sorry. Isn't that always the way of it, though? I I don't know. I wasn't watching TV. The the way that, you know, women end in shows is either they end up partnered or they end up dying. And generally, the partnering will happen with a male. And so... There were, you know, I remember when I heard about the movie Desert Hearts, and it was some time after it had been filmed and released and such. Which is a classic lesbian romance yes, movie. Yes, as far as I know, the classic <laughs> lesbian romance Because we only get one. Movie that wasn't with somebody dying. Yes. Or something like that. And thinking, okay, I, I need to see that because this is some big deal and I can understand the characters. It was weird for me because, again, what I wasn't understanding at that point is I wasn't really a lesbian, so I couldn't entirely relate to that, but I could relate to the having to deal with being repressed in your personal expression and deal with the world around them and still be able to recognize who they were. So that part I could relate to, having to deal with the rest of the world, basically. Because of who you were or who you were attracted to or because you were different. Mm -hmm. Exactly. In the Doctor Who world, the particular episode that the character... 747 played was in that that year of Doctor Who, not everyone's favorite, except maybe mine. And my my (laughs) reason is, first of all, it was originally a kid's show. It's been darker in the last couple of years, especially this past season. Mm -hmm. And it's been on the TV later. 
even over in the UK where it's released, it's put on the television later at night than it right. was originally. However, it, it kind of goes back to some more original Doctor Who-ness of this is impossible, but let's have a story anyway yeah. <laughs> about boogie monsters, you know. Um, <laughs> Quite literally. Yes. And, <laughs> and then at the same time, I right away saw the character 474 as not like the other characters. And for me, that's that's important in a good way of hey, something's different here. And I like those things that are different. I like the representation. I like, you know. And in the LGBTQIA plus panel, there was um, one of the women who talked about being able to identify with the, quote, different character in any show because they were different. And it didn't matter if their difference was queer. It was just, ooh, they're different. They're not like the others. I'm not like the others. That's my character. Or as our number uh, two child sometimes says, that guy's me when he's watching a show. Oh my gosh, he does. A cartoon or another show. Yeah. That guy's me. Usually it's about some like... um, Superhero. Yeah. yeah. He-man type dude. But uh, anyhow... That catches my attention. And I, there's, you know, there's good and bad things. I know some trans women are very sensitive about that they stand out and they stand out more than trans guys do in a lot of ways because, like our tall friend, they're taller people that had, in, in their case, testosterone poisoning. So, yes. It affected them in the way that makes them stand out sometimes in ways they don't want to stand out. Right. But having that person there on the TV as a, just a person, and, but I, a lot of people didn't notice. So, I noticed when I listened to one podcast, those guys talked about the episode at that time. They were, you know, one of the podcasts I listened to that reviews episodes Which of one? Doctor Who, uh, RFS. Okay, Radio Free Scaro. And they didn't mention this at all. No. Didn't mention this character. Like, uh, hardly, well, maybe mentioned the grunts, there was a woman, and there were some guys. Mm-hmm. And I thought, hmm... I wonder if the women I listen to on their podcast will mention this. And I don't think I got to that point where I got to hear the whole thing, if they would talk about that. But do you recall? I don't recall if Verity discussed it particularly, that it was a trans actress or that the character was gender divergent in any way. Right. Or just there was a woman and some guys. Because they often do talk about... Gender representation, cisgender representation, they do. And this has been a very female-heavy episode. And I think a lot of us have really liked that it's been a very female heavy episode comparatively against the rest of the entire series. So I was curious about that. And then I, a- I asked you about it and you, you, you said, oh, yes, that's Bethany Black. And I, I like that because I say, oh, look, here's a person that's like me. Yay! Exactly. Media representation type things. Yeah. And then when they had the character in Trap Street where the episode faced the raven where it, there were no eye boogers. No. Not on display. (laughs) Where there was a character who was presenting as a gender that was different from their own. They had been raised as such for their own protection because only the members of the female gender had natural psychic capabilities, but she was being raised to present as a boy because... As she said, it's safer for me. It is. And I don't remember if it was... I don't think it was on the show. Somebody in the in the mm-hmm. audience at that time of that review must have said, isn't that the truth? Right. And that's exactly it. You know, I mean, that's probably where it's a true, lot of people of- end up 
prior to transition, they're just like, you know what? It, this is safer for me to pretend to be what I was assigned. Mm -hmm. And so, even though it may or may not have been, again, that intentional presentation of here is a cross-gender presenting character, it was something that a lot of us could identify with Yes, in the show. Now, also on the panel that we attended that talked about queer things on Doctor Who and otherwise in the media, there was Michaela from Web of Queer Podcast. Who we absolutely adore. Yes. We it was, love that show. It was very nice to meet her and hear her in a, in a few different panels and meet up things. And she has a completely different take on the queer experience. She identifies as asexual. Yes. And she talked about how lots of people like to say, oh, the doctor is asexual and, you know, like she should appreciate that or something. And no, on the contrary, it's if only all the trans people were represented as aliens or all the males or all the females were represented as aliens only, would you like that? Mm, not really. See? It's very othering to have the the concept of something so integral to oneself being identified as strictly non-human, to have no orientation or no attraction to other humans being an integral part of oneself and then having that applied as something that makes a character less human and more alien simultaneously feels like the person making the comparison is calling you less human. It did seem hard for some people to understand that and because in some ways it's like, oh, but that's the doctor and he's the best character, so but I wouldn't want the only It doesn't representation matter if it's to be better than human. It's still not human. It's still other. Yes, exactly. So there's there's not as far as we know a lot of representation there and I know that representation of queers in general is improved significantly because, as I said, there was none when I was a child that I knew of at all. Mm -hmm. And if there was, I missed it. When you were growing up, it was a little bit risky to portray that on TV. The morality police would come and take you away and cancel your show. You wouldn't even get that far. <laughs> Fair. Yeah. Unless your queer person is there to be taught a lesson about why they oughtn't be. Right. And even that only happened after 10 o'clock at night. I don't think it was on the TV. It might have been by the time you, you had TV to watch, but not, been. not when I was watching it when I was a kid. So, And my parents weren't necessarily trying to hide something like that from us. They were mostly clueless, or at least my mother was. Mm -hmm. I don't think my father was clueless. Right. But he wasn't, he also, and he wasn't anti anything in particular. He was just, um, well, that's not my thing, so whatever. Right. You know. Now, having grown up without anything or anyone to identify with, I can imagine led to quite a bit of confusion, and I don't know if compared to how kids are growing up now with a few queer role models and how that might be easier or how... I think anyone in a certain age group already understands that from their experience. And a lot of people younger outside of that experience are similar to the meetup we had in, in the less formal area where the one woman who is closer to my age was saying to the very young person, well, that's why you have those privileges. 
is because I dealt with being maced on a regular basis. So I, I don't want to be preaching to the choir. and No, but I, I think it's an important distinction to draw at this point. So like if there had been any sort of representation like that in TV, in the media, when you were growing up, what kind of benefit could that have been for you? Well, the benefit would have not just been for myself seeing that character and being able to identify with them in a positive way. But also, it would have allowed the culture around me to have that awareness and acceptance. And that would have been the biggest benefit to me. Because you grew up in a time where queers and trans folk were, you know, the the few passable trans folk were new story spectacle. And, you know, Christine Jorgensen and so on were like these, look at that freak kind of thing. And even though, like, she, she was in my, my history still. Yeah, um, she was previous She you, was but... still the biggest point of reference mm -hmm. publicly. Yes. Right. And to be able to connect with those characters, I think um, there have been a number of, in America, we have, unfortunately, a very polarized dichotomy in our political system right now. And most people listening will be familiar with this, whether they're Americans or not, that there's one very conservative group and one very liberal group. And a lot of the American populace is somewhere towards the center, but because we only have two options in our largest section of voting and largest section of political representation, we kind of end up getting lumped with one side or the other. And individuals of the more conservative group, the Republicans, often end up not supporting gay rights until someone in their family comes out. Not supporting gay rights until they make friends with a queer person who they see is just a person. And not supporting transgender rights until someone who they didn't have any clue was transgender comes out and says, you really need to stop voting against these things. And especially if any of those people had some money. But uh, yeah, money just, makes a big difference. It's a pol politics, so. Dinner. <laughs> <laughs> Continue. Okay. So, um, <laughs> Jake in my head. So, how about you, our friends? I'm not talking to you across the microphone from me now. I'm talking to you, our no, listener I'm, friends. I'm your husband. Yes, you're <laughs> my husband. Our, our listeners, um, if you grew up in a time with representation available to you in the media, if you're a younger listener who grew up with Degrassi, who loved seeing Captain Jack Harkness, who I still also find a little bit othering, but... What did that mean to you to have those role models, to have those cultural touch points to connect with? And if you didn't, what could it have done for you? And I am going to suggest the hashtag queer in class, because that is the upcoming show. Queer in class. What could this have meant for you? What did finding representation like this mean to you? As a person growing up as a queer, as a gender nonconforming individual, as an asexual individual, as a person who is not cisgender or heteronormative, what kind of value could this representation have in this upcoming series that is a spinoff of a hugely popular series? What kind of benefit could that have for today's young people that maybe you missed or that maybe you would have loved to see more of? 
I think you have Doctor Who on your mind right now. And, I do. And there are other places that that representation needs to be and probably needs more encouragement than just queer in class, but it's a good place to start. Yes. And again, with such a popular series and a popular franchise, I think it really is a good place to start and a good place to direct one's energies because it has a big following and money talks. It has a big merchandising machine. And that's how we get X-Files back. It totally is. Thank you, Nerdist. Thank you, Gillian Anderson. And yeah, that interview on the Nerdist where they had a hashtag X-Files 2016. And I think it was 2015 wasn't it? I think it was 2015. You're correct. It took them, you know, they forgot it would take a while to, to actually uh, do the uh, filming. But, you yeah. know, that's where it got started and it picked up steam and there it was. Mm-hmm. So there's that. Mm-hmm. And and people can hashtag it and they hashtag can also- us and tell hashtag it and tell your stories of why queer representation is important to you. What would it mean? What did it mean to see queer representation? What could it have meant to see queer representation? You said that a few times. So is that it? I think I'm trying to come. You're up. not sure. I'm not sure. Yeah, I think that's it. Okay. We'd love to hear from you, so let us know what you think or what you want to hear about by emailing us at transpantastic at gmail.com or by commenting at our website, transpantastic.net. Don't forget to subscribe in Stitcher, iTunes, or your favorite podcatcher, and leave us reviews and star ratings. Disclaimer time. We are neither your doctor nor your mental health professional. We are here to discuss our own lives, so we take no responsibility for your decisions based on our discussions. If you are considering transition, please seek professional assistance. If you are considering parenting while transitioning, you definitely need professional assistance. All contents are distributed under a Creative Commons no derivative license and may be shared freely in their entirety. Any alteration or less than complete reproduction requires permissions of the hosts. Thanks for listening. We'll talk more about actually being there next time. Next. Never mind. Go ahead. What were you starting to say? I was going to say what you just said. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Go ahead. You can say it. You just did. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to cut that one because I stopped myself. I see. Gender and orientation diversity. Yes. I I don't know what else to say there. That's okay. That's what I do a lot when you're telling a story and I'm just like, yes, keep talking. (laughs) Okay. So yes is a proper answer. That's good. Do you need to wipe your face? I did. I washed it. Oh, you keep doing this. I know. My eyes feel a little sore. I'm sorry. And your, oh, the word just went away because some sort of tiredness hit me or something, but... Yeah. Your expression. It was a word with an E. I knew that. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I was going to say what I said before, before that again, but I, now I can You can't. related to the way they had to. I don't know. I was started to say something, but, but you I started talking. So kept I, talking. I'm sorry. It's okay. I don't know what it was, though. When you listen to this, you'll find out. Maybe. Maybe. Soup smells good. Okay, then. <laughs> <laughs> It does. I I smell the soup. Okay.